Hey, ModCom, welcome back. You're here as always with Casey, and John is also with me. We've got a guest today. I'll let John go ahead and do that introduction. I think it's going to be a pretty controversial episode. Uh, they're going to be going over some topics. Uh, let's see who you agree with. It might turn into a little bit of a debate. might just be a little bit more of a discussion. We're going to let it be a little freeform today and see what we end up with. But John, how you doing, and who do you have for us today? Thanks, buddy. I am doing good. I uh, Today, I have one of the, who I believe to be one of the most controversial people on D2C Twitter uh, with us today. The founder of the Facebook Ads MBA program, teaches a lot of people Facebook ads, Mr. Charlie Chichenor. Charlie, thanks for being on here today. The funny thing is like, Charlie and I have met in person and we like actually get along pretty well. Oh yeah, we, we got along like uh, famously. Yeah, but if you follow our conversations on Twitter, people will be like, "These two don't like each other." Like, yeah, no, but we uh, we were in San Diego. We had a great time. Yeah, days yeah. and days we hung out. It was a great thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved it. Thanks for having me on, man. I, I uh, really appreciate it. I've been watching the channel for a while. You and I have been going back and forth for a couple of years now. I think it'll be a an awesome opportunity to uh, have a have an exchange of ideas. And hopefully in that exchange, other folks can uh, decipher what they feel like works best for them. But ultimately, watching two people that know what they're talking about have a discussion is incredibly helpful for other folks that are just trying to find their way. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I just want more people to be successful. So I'm ready to dive on into it and have some fun. Yeah, I'm with it. Casey, you are an absolute beast right now. You're turning out so many creatives across multiple brands. What is it that is so hard about producing such a high volume of creatives? Why can't a lot, why can't more brands do it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would say if you're doing it the right way, of course, um, you should be always analyzing your, your past ads, you know, the things you've already turned out, your most recent uh, test group that you've put out. Um, and that should inform your next round of creation, not just go all willy nilly about it. So I would say that's why it's difficult to speed up that process is because it's always kind of a two pronged approach of, of analyzing and creation, really. So how is it that you are able to do that across like 12 to 15 accounts? Yeah, I mean, it does get pretty wild. But honestly, when I use pencil, it's not as bad. Uh, pencil is a tool that I use. It, it's got AI that'll help determine what my best ads are. It'll even break it down into the best elements of those ads. And in that platform, it'll automatically generate new ads for me to launch. And I can push them live straight from the platform uh, into Facebook, IG. Um, it also works great for other platforms as well, like TikTok, whatever you're on, really. If you sound like me and you're always in the weeds with your creatives, you need, you need a little bit more analytics. Uh, you just need some help with new creation. You need things to be sped up a little bit, um, you know, Use our promo code. Go to trypencil.com. Use promo code modcom15. You'll save 15% off on any paid plan. You sure can start with a free plan, John. I mean, hey, I'll recommend it. Go ahead and try it for free. But once you do, we're pretty confident you're going to want to switch to a paid plan anyway. So don't forget you can use that promo code modcom15 at trypencil.com. One more time. That's trypencil.com, modcom15. Save 15% off any paid plan they have there. And uh, back to the show. So uh, I have a couple notes down here of some things we want to talk about. And, and the first is uh, a really kind of like firm stance you hold against uh, ROAS, like the ROAS yeah. as a metric um, or MER, which in, you know, in your opinion, that's just an extension of ROAS. Um, and so for those who don't know what MER is, marketing efficiency ratio, uh, you can think of it as blended ROAS, so all revenue over all ad spend. Uh, though it's more often expressed in a percentage, right? So ROAS might be expressed as a number like three, right? Uh, MER is often in that same scenario would be expressed as 33%, right? So uh, I want to start there. You believe that ROAS and MER are both bad. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not ROAS versus MER. It's, you believe that they're both bad metrics uh, yeah. and that a different metric, like they're, you, they're just not important to watch. Yeah, so... I think MER and ROAS are great if your marketing team needs an ego boost. However, your finance department, your fulfillment department, your investors, your bankers, they don't care. Because ultimately, it's a report card of a snapshot in time. But does it tell you where the revenue came from and does it give you actionable insight? I'd argue the answer to that is probably no. Mm -hmm. You could take a look at it and see how this is going, but... 
if that metric doesn't help you make positive decisions and requires further context to understand, then it's really just some other bit of noise that gets in the way of the progression of a business. As an example, I was working at, you know, when I was running 310 Nutrition, we might have a great MER one day because we had a sale or we had 30 to 50, $100,000 in recurring revenue that day. Or maybe it looked really bad because our paid media budget reflected as a higher percentage of spend that day. Our MER could look terrible because we got billed for influencer on that day and it was a six-figure monthly influencer budget. Mm -hmm. But the point is, it lacks context. No number that you get from ROAS or MER gives you an action item to improve the business, to project future results, or to understand the makeup of where you got the where you're getting your current revenue yeah. and because of that it becomes incredibly difficult to use any of these things to truly move it forward roas being a much bigger offender than mer because mer does account for duplicitous attribution yeah. um mer does help you understand some elements of incrementality where roas doesn't at all but ultimately, MER is just a nicer version of a data point that is lacking in any actionable insight. And so for me, because I can't use it to make any decisions, it's a waste of my time. Yeah. And I think, again, our time is very valuable. So if you can't use it to media plan or finance plan or understand the validate decisions, then it's at best a nice little canary in the coal mine, but most of the problems that it solves are actually ramifications of other decisions or other metrics that are actually far more important. Uh, yeah. So, and, and I know that you have another a metric uh, that you've sort of like uh, um, kind of branded yourself, right? Uh, and we're going to get in that in, into a second, like what you believe that-, that Yeah, I was important. holding off on that one. Yeah, we'll get there. Right. Yeah, but but let, me, let me respond to a couple of things there. There's, there's a few things I like really agree with about what you said. And that is that um, MER in and of itself, it does lack, lack context. ROAS in and of itself, you know, is just, and, and to, to be clear, the difference is like channel-based versus like overall blended, right? Um, ROAS in and of itself just isn't really like an accurate way to, to like, in most cases, right? Unless you're only running one channel and that's like the only thing that drives, then I guess ROAS is pretty accurate then. But like, um, you know, in most cases where you're doing anything else besides just like one thing, um, ROAS just, it's just not accurate, right? Like it's just not an accurate way to be doing decision-making. So I, I do agree though. I will say this about MER is that it, because you've said this before, it's allowed me to clarify my thoughts on it further um, because we use MER a lot, right? Like that, that's a, that's a big thing that we do with our clients is, is we actually oftentimes are moving them from ROAS focus to an MER focus. Um, but it's not like our decision-making metric. In, in a sense, it is. It's like a macro decision-making metric. But I would say it's more of an accounting metric than anything, right? Like, or more of like a finance metric than anything where it's like, you know, the, the finance, the CFO or the founder or whoever is kind of in charge of the finances is able to say like, hey, confidently, I know that I can spend like 25% of my revenue on on ads, right? Like I know that like, if I do that, we won't be in trouble. So it's like, okay, that gives us like a high level bumper, right? So usually something else like new customer CPA, something like that uh, would, would be more of like our North star, but uh, that gives us a bumper to know like, Hey, if we, you know, maybe our new customer CPA is really good, but we're starting to get to that 25%, like we're at 21, 22%, you know, even though NCPA is good right now, we need to pull back. Right. Like we need to we can't keep spending because we're going to go like over that bumper. So that is most often how we use it. Right. So then it's like, hey, we want to hit a certain volume at a certain efficiency. You know, if it's whatever, like that, that's that's where we use it. We don't really use MER to like make decisions and add accounts. Right. We can't. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, thoughts on this? Like, do you feel like that just because you said like financially, it doesn't nobody cares about this. Yeah, I'll say I would agree with it in isolation. The problem is most customers buy more than once. There's LTV baked into customer journeys. So 
if your MER is dependent on your marketing efficiency ratio today, let's say 80% of the customers that bought today spent 20 bucks and 20% of them are worth 300 in lifetime value. And let's say the remainder of your budget went to a $100 offer where those people might be worth 200 bucks overall, but your COGS are different and your CPA is different, but you're basically making a profit today versus future cash flow. Well, without understanding that ratio and without understanding the investment timeline of each one of those business objectives, you could say, oh, our MER is really bad today. But is that a bad thing? And my point is, it depends on your business objective. I'm willing to have a lower MER if the majority of my money is being spent in the development of higher volume of profitable customer journeys. And what I'm doing is I'm ultimately making an investment in the growth of my business. I'd want a better MER, I guess, a higher, a better, more desirable ratio if I need immediate profit on the yeah. money that I'm spending. But those are very different if I'm hitting... Like when I was running 1-800-Flowers or Taboots, those businesses, working with those folks, Mother's Day, you know, Valentine's Day, it is immediate revenue. Summer, it is subscription. You are investing in the long tail customer journey value. Yep. And so in that way, it becomes very difficult to understand when looking at the MER number as a percentage, if you're doing anything that matters, because you have to then dissect it five different ways. And... You're, you're raising more questions than answers. So, so I think a really good point that you made is like, you know, uh, if, if all you were worried about was MER, for example, you might, uh, you might trip over a dollar to pick up a dime in a sense, right? Like mm -hmm. you might say, um, hey, this $200 offer drives a better front end MER. Like we're, we're able to, you know, acquire at uh, $50 on this $200 offer and, and it drives a better uh, a front end MER. And on our $20 offer, we're only able to acquire $20. And that's like a horrible front end MER to us, right? To this brand that wants a 25% MER. Um, but the lifetime value of that customer is, is 300. So actually, if you pull it out over lifetime, then it's it's a better it's a better return. It's a better LTV to CAC ratios. So yeah. So, so like, yes, in, in a sense, what you're saying, like over-focusing on this can lead you to make poor decisions. And uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose like it's a good point. Again, I actually agree with your point in isolation, like kind of with the, with the assumption that like somebody wouldn't look at the other things, you know what I'm saying? And, and I guess there are some things that like you probably you probably think that there's there's some things that you think about that you just like take as the price of entry, right? Like nobody at this level doesn't think like this. And there's some things that I think the same thing. Like I would never think that somebody wouldn't be looking at LTV, right? Like that just wouldn't sure. occur to me. You know what I mean? But like, it, it's a good point, right? Because plenty of people, plenty of operators aren't. It's just that we know like whenever we are bringing someone in, if they have LTV baked in at all, we're looking at LTV by product, by even front end, like if, you know, if they came in on an offer, like a coupon or sale or something like that. Right. And sometimes even breaking it all the way down to the ad level, LTV by ad, though I've never seen like a really significant um, difference, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good point. I just, I suppose that like, and when you started talking, I'm like, the reason we actually look at MER is for the reason you said of like most customers buy more than once. And it, cause it becomes like that guide. Like a lot of times if you were looking at just CAC, right. Um, or just CPA, you'd be like, oh, we're like acquiring unprofitably. Like this $20 CPA on this $20 offer is just not good. Right. Like we're, you know, we're not making money on this, even if you know, the LTV is there. But it's like, you know, actually going on an MER, if we're going to focus on that offer, because we know it's the better one from a lifetime perspective um, in an LTV to CAC ratio, like if we're going off of MER, we're, it's going to act as a bumper for how many times we can trade $20 for $20 for a new customer this month, right? So it's like yeah. we can do that until we hit 25% of our total revenue, if that makes sense. So like that's typically how we use it. I suppose, I don't know if you believe that's like a good usage or if you're like, no, you should just do it a different way anyway. I would say this. I'm looking at it operationally of who's looking at this number. So the person actually, the media buyer, 
isn't looking at this number or shouldn't be because it's, it's, you should, the idea of the person pushing the buttons on Facebook to understand the entire operation, it's very good if they do, but if they do, they also understand that MER is not in their control at all. And so it's, it's not useful for them. It, it, it's would, only a bumper, right? Like it's only like, Hey, this is a red light, yellow light, green light. No. Yeah. And, and so then I'm looking at, okay, so let's go to the CMO. The CMO is looking at the MER. Was this month's MER good? Like, in that way, I guess, like it can be helpful, but that CMO should also be looking at P&Ls and should be looking at projected revenue. So the answer that MER is giving them is actually answered by two other things that have to deal with other departments that that department doesn't care about. That that, that cost is okay, that marketing angle, but it's still, um, it's a report on something of two other measurements that are far more actionable. Yeah. See, and, and uh, my, my position is that every metric requires context of other metrics. Uh, but let's get into like what you believe we should focus on instead, right? Yeah. PSM. So explain PSM for us. Tell the formula. Yeah. yeah. So PSM is profitable scaling margin. So profitable scaling margin basically says the, the equation is LTV divided by CPA plus COGS. The, the sum of CPA and COGS. Uh, and the idea is how much does it cost sort of the CAC to LTV ratio, but also bakes in the idea that products cost money and that there's going to be future cost um, and retention efforts. But ultimately what that means is I can focus my business around understanding what is the, what is a transaction worth to me today and then ultimately, what is the lifetime value of that transaction? What is the margin of profit that I'm going to have on this customer on average, in aggregate? Like some are going to be worth thousands and some are going to be worth dozens. But on aggregate, what is that going to look like? So when looking at PSM, that is, that is sort of the equation. Instead of revenue divided by ad spend, it is how much is a customer worth divided by how much did it cost for me to get to start that customer journey in a very simple way yep so going back let, let's let's use a real life example here going back to that example we used uh earlier of you know a 20 dollar front end product that has a 300 lifetime value uh versus like that 200 product um, and, and I furthered the example by saying on that $20 product, let's say we're acquiring at like 20 and on the $200 we're acquiring again at like 50. Um, so LTV divided by CPA plus COGS. So LTV is 300 divided by $20, which is CPA plus COGS, uh, which I put here just for easy math of, uh, $80 so that we would have a nice hundred dollars. So sure. CPA plus COGS in parentheses, correct? Yeah. 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 So, so LTV divided by parentheses CPA uh, plus COGS. So we have 300 divided by 100, which is three, right? So how do you use that number three? Yeah. So what that tells me is on that offer, I can expect to triple the dollar of an investment. Now when I'm starting to look at other offers that I'm, that I'm potentially going to use or promote, I can take a look at, well, this seems like a long tail investment, right? I'm probably gonna lose money up front, make 20 bucks, but to your point, it costs $80 to make that sale with COGS and CPA. Mm -hmm. So I lose $60 to acquire a customer that I'm ultimately gonna make $200 on. So if I'm in a place where what I'm looking to is grow my business, then I should be investing in that versus let's say that math was very similar, but the PSM was a two. Instead of a three. Right. Well, I know every time I invest in a PSM of two, it's a liability to the future growth of my business. Because I could be earning an extra hundred dollars per customer or whatever it is, right? In this case, let's say that it was a 200 divided by 100 instead of a 300 divided by 100. There is opportunity cost for me investing in something that ultimately doesn't meet that business objective as well. Right. That being said, Maybe there's also that offer where my PSM is 1.2, but I'm profitable on day one. And so then I can start to match what are my business needs? Yeah. 
And I can ultimately decide to pull the lever on future growth or immediate return. And honestly, well, we can get into like prioritization of media efforts, but that's ultimately how I would use that number. And what that ultimately tells me is that's how much more money I could spend to acquire that customer. So I could theoretically spend three times as much. So maybe I could increase my budget by three X. And if I got no additional sales, I'd still be okay. And yeah. that lets me understand some future media planning. So, so I actually think that PSM is a valuable like benchmark metric. And, and just to be clear, because we didn't cover this before, when we said uh, CPA plus COGS, we mean, because we did lifetime value, we mean lifetime COGS, right? Like lifetime cost of fulfilling the lifetime value. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I actually do think it's, it's, it's a valuable metric, but um, I suppose like a couple things there is like, I still think it needs context of other metrics in order to know like, okay, you know, that's great that we have a three PSM on this offer. Uh, but how, how much can we spend on that? You know what I mean? Like we still need some other context to even know what can we afford to spend on that this month, right? And that's where I actually think like MER oftentimes is a good in indicator of like what free cash flow will be like, right? Or what you'll be able to spend this month um, on something like that. But I do, I do think it's like a really good and valid way to assess your different offers, right? Like going back to the other offer that we said where it's like, hey, we're spending $50 on a $200 front end offer you know, maybe the PSM on it is actually like 1.5 after cost of goods sold or something like that. So, so this one that we're probably losing money on on the front end, since it's a front end $20 value and we're, we're paying $20 to acquire is, is really a better long-term investment. Um, and, and we can get into the nuance of like, well, maybe that depends on your business objectives. Maybe you do need to be profitable today, right? Versus you, you can afford to not be. But assuming we've acquired some of these people in the past to have enough data to know that their lifetime value is $300, then we have some revenue coming in from them. Um, that, that, that's all that I've really like thought about. Like, I do think PSM is valuable. I just think like, just like MER though, it, it requires context of other numbers or, and, and other things, right? I would say yes, but unlike MER, PSM is a very sort of absolute answer, right? You know that basically the sale of this product to an average customer, baking in the CPA and COGS of everything that goes into the lifetime value to generate that overall revenue, you know that that customer is worth X. Then you do need to, that says, okay, the marketing department says, I can make this much money on somebody. Then your finance department says, this is how much money you have to spend. These are our immediate needs. And the marketing department can then say, okay, I've got three options on the table, immediate revenue, longer growth, whatever it is. And that allows you to ultimately understand which directions to go in. Yeah. Which, which also dovetails into the, like not having too many offers because that's a whole other problem. But I would say that I think the other part of this is that part of our job when running media and growing a business is to ultimately create profitable scale, profitable customer journeys at a way that we can continue to invest in them. And where MER is good in that it understands the ratio of earnings to spend, it's a PL statement basically. Right. Um, I think that when a marketer tries to look at it in that way, trying to answer too many questions with an equation that is too simple. And ultimately it requires so much contextual relevance that it creates more, that it requires so much more insight to understand what to do. Whereas PSM, my marketing, my, my finance department says, you got a hundred grand this month, you got 50 grand a day, whatever it is, right? 10 grand this month. And we need, we're going to, it's a, it, the summer's hard for us. We're going to develop future cash flow because we know Q3, Q4 is coming and we can work on immediate returns then, but invest in long-term growth during this time. Yeah. And I can say, great, what's the best investment for my long-term growth? And I can take a look at that CPA versus my daily operating budget and say, can I get a Facebook campaign out of the learning phase effectively 
with this budget against this CPA. And then there's going to be objectively one best investment for that effort. And so every penny I should be spending should be on that. Whereas MER ROAS never gets into what I should actually do as an operator at the offer level or the business development level. And I think that's a really big missing piece. Whereas PSM brings to the table the marketing department's suite of options mm -hmm. that uh, they can then take direction from. Yeah, I get you. So, so, and this is, I think I actually like, you know, this is why we get along in person, but not on the, on the Twitters because Twitter only gives us 180 characters. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and when we actually unpack it and this has happened before where it's like, we're like, yeah, actually what you said, I pretty much agree with that. Um, uh, so, but I'm, I'm going to call out some situations that maybe challenge this a little bit. Um, okay. th this, this scenario that we've set up is one wherein, uh, we have all of these numbers, right? And that that's like a big if in my experience, right? And maybe it's not, maybe maybe you're mostly working with with brands that do are going to have all of these numbers. But like, you know, for example, um, an earlier stage brand, it just, it doesn't really, they don't really know the LTV of an offer with any kind of reliability, right? Um, and, and even if they do, uh, even if they do kind of know it, like they have enough data to know it, a lot of times it's not, with any kind of reliability, right? Like it, you really have to be around for a few years to and, and have acquired a certain number of customers to really have that um, data. Like um, to know that that $20 offer that ultimately converts into like $300. That's an extreme example. That's a big LTV lift, right? Um, but, but, even, but because it's so big, it would be like easier to spot that there's huge LTV on this offer. Like usually what it's more like is you know, a $50 front end and like a 75, 80, $90, you know, six month LTV or something like that. And, you know, to really be confident in that 75, 89, like you got to have a lot of six month data to actually be, you know, confident enough in that. So oftentimes I think brands in this stage, they just really have to move more toward like revenue today, profit today. And, and thus like MER is oftentimes like a really good indicator for them. Um, I appreciate that. And I totally get it too. A lot of brands, and I get this question a lot, especially from my students. What am I supposed to do with an LTV if I, if I don't know it? Right. Well, you do know it. If you're LTV, if you don't know if you're ever going to get a second customer, your LTV is that AOV of the first purchase. Right. Yeah. And that there's plenty of products where that is it, right? Like yeah. brands, brands where that is it. Yeah. So one of the things to that too is, I mean, first off, when people say, well, how do you factor LTV? I'm like, well, if you don't know it, then it's legitimately the AOV of that first offer. And if one out of 10 people, one out of 100 people buy a second time, hey, that LTV goes up. And it should continually, as the business grows, continue to improve theoretically, right? Like if you're doing running a business, you should factor that in. Right. What I would also say is, starting off, that's, a, that's the firm point. So the... Alignment of PSM to MER is, is very close. Right. That's a good point. Like it's that they're going to give you a similar action. Yeah. The, the, the Venn diagram is almost a circle, right? Yeah. But exactly. as the data comes in, the value of PSM over uh, MER ROAS really begins to compound. And to that point, one of the things that I talk with a lot of my clients and brands with, like for instance, when I was running New Balance, we saw that. Well, not the brand. I was like, the CEO of New Balance, but you know what I'm saying. When I was running New Balance, when you started New Balance in the 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But when I was running New Balance, we had a big shift. Where they tried to use ads to push the sales of sneakers, but the lifetime value over CPA and Cogs of the trainer uh, of the the pants and the socks was much much higher. And what we found was if we used our media dollars to push these higher profit margin products. We were able to generate a much higher margin of revenue with which to operate from. And so the point of that is it goes into something else is once you do start to get people coming back, you can start to understand what products more confidently drive a second or a third purchase. And then you can focus 
And this kind of goes to why I also say you should only get one or two, one offer, maybe two max. Like you don't need more than that. Is because then you can put every media dollar into pushing this one scenario, which then means you can work on that front AOV. You can also work on the repurchase rate. Like maybe you're like, well, nobody purchases a second time. And one of my points to that is if somebody's only going to buy once, maybe the reason they're only buying once is because you're promoting 20 different things and you haven't worked on the customer flow afterwards. And it becomes far more effective for your business when you can improve the LTV of your hero product that you're already making some money on. And then you can, as the PSM grows, you can invest a larger amount into the growth and acquisition around that offer. And I think that that really kind of dovetails into the, like the one offer pieces and some other things. So I don't want to get too deep down into it, but that's yeah. kind of how I would look at it. A couple of things that I'll point out too about that example of New Balance, which I, in, in given it's like, you know, examples are, is what we're using, right? But like, you know, does, do any of our listeners, like is a New Balance example super relevant to them? Probably not, but I'll point this out about it. There's other, it's a continuum. It's a continuum for sure. Um, you know, and there, there are some bigger brands, some smaller brands, some brands where there's like a really high potential for LTV, some brands where it's like, you know, I don't know, we've worked with CrossNet and it's like, you look that they, once they buy the thing that like, they've got the thing, you know? Um, and, and so, uh, one thing with that though, that I will, that I'll point out is that like, yeah, in a certain situation, like MER is not going to be super relevant to New Balance anymore, um, for like many reasons, but. But uh, a few of them are <laughs> a ton of their sales come from retail and retail is lifted by any advertising effort. Sure. Um, number one. Uh, number two, they have vastly different margins on their products, which is not common of digital natives, at least in my experience. Most digital natives have like very similar margin on, uh, across all of their product categories and lines. Um, but New Balance does not. They have like really different product margins on, on, on their different products, right? So MER then becomes less useful. Um, and, and cash flow is just not a problem, you know, for like, number one, they're already so like, yeah. already got so many lines of credit, it, like their working capital money is like their working capital potential is so high, right? So, so yeah, like once you get into that stage where you just like really have lots of working capital from lots of financing sources, both yourself and others, um, you have different margins, like yeah, for sure, like MER, it's just, it's not useful. Like you need to, if you're, if your ad agency is still using ROAS MER, they're just not used to dealing with brands of your size. Um, but I, I suppose it's, it's pretty highly useful for a lot of the brands in the size that we deal with because like already many many, many operators can't even like give us the number. Right. You know, so, or, or they don't have like a way, you know, that like where, you know, they're implemented a triple whale or a lifetime or something like this, where they're actually like tracking net profit, you know, daily. So it's like, we're not even going to get a net profit read until you guys run the PNL at the end of the month. So like, we really need to know what's the ratio of your revenue that we can safely spend on advertising. Um, yeah. you know, and, and because if we don't get that right, like next month, you're like not even really going to have any money to advertise because you're completely bootstrapped. Right. So, yeah, yeah I, I suppose it's probably just like a perspective thing, right? Like in many cases for us, it's a very useful metric for us to be able to be like, okay, here's our safe zone. Right. But, but yeah, at, at a high level, more sophisticated level of business, um, it, it's just, yeah. And I mean, with new balance, if, if you're new balance and you're watching this, like don't use MER. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I'm just giving that as an example and we can close it out with, with one other thing. Cause I also, I do this with a lot of smaller folks too. Folks spending 5,000, 10,000, 50,000 a month. And the purpose of it really is if you are continuing to try, there's, there's basically two versions. One is to try to stay afloat. And the other one is to really try to invest in the growth. <laughs> and in general, when I've taken businesses from six to eight or from seven to nine figures, what the switch mentally that I need for those brands to get to is that it is far more about understanding future financial needs. And then how are you going to best invest your resources today? And I ultimately think that comes down to when we're talking about how MER and PSM at a small scale are very overlapped. 
but as you get more mature, they like separate a bit more. And I think that ultimately comes down to the business and the size and everything else, just like you're talking about. I would just say that if my focus for the business is to, is to grow the business, then I want to start looking at projectable financial metrics. Mm-hmm. If my goal with the marketing is to stay in business, then I'm going to be looking at MER. And my honest feedback for folks like that is, if your number one objective in business is to just stay in business, there are a lot bigger problems you need to worry about. And you absolutely need to know your numbers. And if a client comes to me and says they don't know their numbers, I'll sit down with them and I'll figure them out. Because you should legitimately know the value, the volume, and the cost of everybody in your funnel till they become a customer. And then what that customer journey is worth on each touch point. And if you don't know that stuff, you're flying blind and you're going to be reactionary to pre-existing data. And you're going to be, find it very difficult to know what to do a month, three months, six months from now today to set you up for success then. And, and that's, that's I think the big, the big piece on that. But at some point, I think we got an idea. It's, it's scale, it's application, it's, it's business need. And also just how adept are the brands at business development? So, uh, sophistication as well, right? Like a lot of times it's like, you know, we can get, we can get a partner to wrap their head around something, you know, uh, and then, you know, maybe two, three, four, five, six months from now, we'll be able to get them to wrap their head around something else, right? Sure. So some of that, some of that plays for sure, which does that speak to like what the actual best metrics are to watch? No, but, but it's just practicality. And so like, and, and that the same thing is true of you and me and anyone watching this, uh, of like there are some things that you or, or I or anyone watching this can wrap their head around today. Um, and there's some things that, you know, they, so, so it's like, if you already don't know your numbers, like maybe start out by just figuring out like, you know, I don't know. I like the profit first model. Right. So it's like, start out by just figuring out like, you know, how much revenue, like how much do you have to spend on, on product? How much do you have to spend on shipping fulfillment, all of your costs and, and advertising spend? Like, that's like not a bad place to start. Um, but, but yeah, no, I mean, I do agree that like, MER doesn't tell the whole story. And for us, it oftentimes acts as, is just a bumper, right? Like that's all it is. It's not really a performance metric at all. Like we don't say, Hey, we rose MER this month. Like, isn't that awesome? It's more like, what kind of volume do you want to do? And what MER like will work for you? And you'll still like, you'll not lose money doing that. Right. Or you'll. Yeah. And you can even to that point say, what kind of volume do I need in order to get a less desirable MER to be actually good for us? Right, exactly. So a lot of times it tears, right? So so this is where we start to become more sophisticated with them in in that like, okay, at first we just there's like a number and we're going and then then as we go, it's like, okay, well, but this month it, you have some product drops, right? And and you're gonna do some big email blasts and you're gonna do some big influencer around that. Obviously, your influencer brother budget we're gonna we're gonna include into that MER number. Uh, but like you're going to have a, a supported MER this month, right? Does that change the target? And that like, then it's like, these are things that you don't wrap your head around at first, but when you start going through the practice, you do, right? So, uh, oh yeah, like we are going to have an adjusted MER target this month. So then we start adjusting on a, on a time period basis. And then we start adjusting on a tiered basis, like you're saying, like, well, but like actually at this volume, you would actually be happy to operate at this volume with a different MER. Um, and, and then, yeah, then we're getting into stuff where it's like, you know, pretty soon we're not worried about MER. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, do you want a 10 and a 1000 or do you want a one at 10,000 and spend? Right. Like, like 10,000 and spend all day. You get, if you're at the point where you could basically manipulate MER to be whatever you want, then, then you need to move on. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, ultimately as marketers, especially when I'm working at an ad agency or if I'm in house. My number one objective is you gave me a budget of 10,000. Why isn't it 20? Let me solve that problem and that'll fix everything else. And, and that's, that's the ultimate focus that I have is what do I need to do to double my budget of acquisition? Right. Because ultimately that means everything else in the business is getting better. I'm not trying to get more spend. I'm trying to fix the business in a way that allows me to invest more of your money or invest more of your money because it's a smaller percentage of your overall budget, whatever it happens to be. As we know, it's a good investment. If we invest yeah. more of your money in things that we have high confidence in. Yeah, no, it's a good way to look at it, I think. Um, 
and I think that like it, it, it's probably there's a little bit of a mindset unlock there even like because many people are like, well, I don't want to spend more. I want to make more. Right. And sure, it's like so you can focus on efficiency. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like it's like or, or well or it's like, OK, you know that. Yeah. Maybe we focus on efficiency or maybe it's like, OK, but, you know, like maybe there's a mind block there for you. If that's you, if you heard what Charlie just said and you said like, well, I don't want to spend more. I want to make more. I want you to be focused on, on making more. Like, well, if that's your answer to that question, then it's like, okay, well, I know that like basically the answer you just gave me is you kind of have like a little bit of a mental block around like money being an investment, marketing dollars being an investment versus marketing dollars being a cost. Yeah. Um, like if I double your revenue, you, I can't get 10% more spend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, it's bad for you to not do it. Like yeah. how much money do you not want to make? Like when I used to run reports for Activision and CBS when that were my clients, I would my for my reports would always start with page one of the report. Here's the projections if you gave me twice as much budget. Right. Yeah. Number two is here's what happened if you gave me 20% more budget. Page number three, this is what you gave me. Here's how much money you lost by not investing more with me. Yeah. And yeah, I got I got CBS from 50k a day to a million a day doing doing stuff like that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting way to look at it. And that's a, like, if you're an ad agency person, very interesting to hear that perspective, right? Because that's ultimately there. That's how everyone's aligned. Like if the, if, if you are, if you have, if, if you have a deal structure that's aligned with your client, which is a whole other thing we could unpack. Uh, but if you have deal structures that are aligned with your clients wins, so they win, you win. Um, then usually probably what you want is to be able to spend more and invest more for them. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit here because I know we have a, a hard stop in a little bit. Um, we've touched on this a couple times throughout this conversation because essentially what you're like, you know, one of the biggest values of PSM is in assessing offers. Like what offer should we be focusing on? Um, you also have held, and I don't want to misquote you, you hold a belief essentially like, you know, until you're spending a really large amount uh, at least on Facebook, I don't know if you hold this belief across all channels, but on, on Facebook ads or meta ads, uh, in, until you're spending like a pretty large amount, you really should be focusing all of your dollars on one offer. You shouldn't be splitting it across multiple offers. Number one, please define for me what you mean by offer. Um, and number two, yeah, give, give me your, you know, wh why is that? Yeah, great question. So first off, defining offer, basically, what is somebody getting when they give you money? service, product. product, whatever that is, right? It's a transaction, right? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the offer. Um, like when I was running MGM hotels, it would be hotel rooms, right? When I'm doing progressive insurance, it's people signing up for that. When I'm bringing TRX to market, it's just getting that yellow stuff into your house so you can work out at home, whatever it is. All of that stuff, that's the offer. Now, the reason that I'm talking about focusing on one offer is really three parts. First, one investment is generally the best fit for the business needs at that time. Cash flow, margin, et cetera. What, what kind of time cycle are you talking about though? Like a quarter? I, 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 generally, I find that they don't shift too much more than quarterly. Like Q4 tends to be more about margin. Q2 or the summer tends to be more about cash flow. There are seasonal businesses and stuff, but in general, also that need might change as you go into the next round of funding. It might go as headwinds. Yeah. Yeah. There's a million things. And this is where the finance department gives you direction. So the finance department says, this is what I need next quarter, next year, your year over year projectables, all of that stuff. Right. The finance department should have a good idea of what they need to get you more money from other people so you can continue to grow your business. So then your job is to say, how do I best invest that? Now, if I know I can invest in one place and I get a 20% return, and I invest someplace else and I get a 50% return, every penny I spend on that 20% is a liability to my ultimate objective. That is bad money spent. So that's number one. Number two is that we deal with the machine learning platform. And when you start to teach that machine, every penny you spend is teaching the platform to do something. With Facebook, for instance, specifically, or any optimized CPM environment. So when you are teaching it to do multiple things, 
You have to understand that also that means that the one thing that's most important for you isn't as good as it could be. Because you're investing less resources in the optimization of the machine learning. You're also investing less resources in what happens to your, your CRO. So your landing page isn't getting as good as fast because you're getting maybe 50% of traffic or 75. So you're not getting as much. You're also not getting as many customers coming through your email and your post-transactional journey. So you're not able to optimize that as much. So you're, you're missing on the front end, but you're also not able with step one, you're missing on the front end. Step two of that is you're not able to make that front end better as fast. And you're also confusing the machine by not investing your resources into ultimately driving that thing. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they've got multiple offers all driving to a purchase conversion objective. Well, that means the $20 product is treated as Facebook as the same value as the $200 product. Like they're both purchase. If you make custom conversion events, you start to optimize down the road, then they're at least they're siloed and that's okay. But now you're starting to basically ask one employee to do like five things on the factory line. And that means they're not going to be nearly as good at the one thing. They're not going to be specialists. And to be fair, if you're having, you know, a heart attack, do you want to go to the general practitioner at the, at the, at the, at the nursery down the street, or not nursery, but you know what I'm saying? A clinic down the street, or do you want to go to the best cardiologist in the city? Well, if my future depends on it, give me the best cardiologist in the city. So if your business is as valuable to you as that, why are you going and sending to five different clinics instead of just going to the, instead of getting just the one cardiologist investing as much as you can and actually putting that step forward? I think the last point to it around that one offer is that it also allows you to creative test on the Facebook side and also curate customer journeys on the Facebook side, where you're able to understand the best way of stabilizing those variables within that PSM number. So I can stabilize and improve my efficiency on CPA a lot better if I only have to focus on one offer. And when I'm starting to promote multiple offers, now I have to bake in my CPA might be for this product, but also three other things might've been touch points. So it starts to get really messy. Like maybe the reason one offer is really good is because people saw other ones, right? So you're preconditioning that customer journey in a way that becomes incredibly difficult to manage. Well, ultimately, those are the big three things that I will say. And the reason I say you need a really high budget comes down to the, like, the honorable mention here. And that do you have enough money to make your best offer reduce its efficiency because you've scaled it so much that something else is equivalent? Mm-hmm. If the answer there is no, then then I don't think you need to do it. Like it's there are places to redo upsells and DPA and you know, buy to get one free ads and retargeting over a full price offer or something like that. But those are all luxury problems. And if you don't have the front end of your business figured out, the more variety and variability of the randomness of the variables coming into your into your system the more different types of customers from the more different types of offers that have more different variable customer journeys, the harder and harder it is for you to get really good at the thing that's going to make you more money. And I see too many people trying to say, well, we've got a new product. Let's run an ad for it and see if it sells. And really my point is like, okay, you're going to lose 10 cents on the dollar here. I can make you $2 on the dollar. Like, do you want more money or do you want to be happy because we ran everything? Yeah, so uh, a couple things. I I'm gonna make a few counterpoints, and then I want to you know allow you to respond briefly because I do want to touch base on one other on one other thing um, that's specific to Facebook uh, Facebook ads. Uh, so uh, the first thing is like to your first point about like you know hey if if you're not spending it on the best offer, it's opportunity cost. Um, that's a very logical point. I just like I can't think of a single situation where it's like incredibly practical, at least in my experience. Like actually, that's sorry, not a single situation. I would say 80, 90, maybe 95% of the time, it's not incredibly practical because uh we don't actually in an early stage, in early stage, we don't actually know which offer is the best offer. 
right? Like we, we don't know what investment's the best investment. Um, none of them have aged enough. And, and so uh, like, for example, like maybe we would be putting all of our money into the offer that is giving us the best front end uh, return, but maybe that front end return really isn't that good. And we have reason to believe that a different offer that we lose money on on the front end uh, would be better, but we just don't have enough LTV data on it yet. Right. So like PSM is better here. This is technically the better investment, but it's really not that exciting of an investment. Or maybe it's a semi exciting investment. Maybe it's a really exciting investment. But we also have reason to believe another investment is good. Right. So we want to continue to run money to that. Right. Um, or we just don't really have enough information to know any of them. There's no, none of them like it's really er too early stage for anything to have stable stabilized enough for us to have that information. And then at like mid stage, so mid stage is where I could see, yeah, I definitely think that people who spend brands and I'm going to generalize some numbers, these numbers completely depend on what your acquisition costs are. Right. But like, I'm going to generalize some numbers. I think a lot of brands that spend kind of like 50, 70 K up to about 150, 200 K tend to run too many offers. Like it's a big tendency of theirs in that range. Um, again, contingent upon conversion costs, right? Like that's with conversion costs in, in typical e-commerce zones of whatever, 30 to like 80 or something like that. Right. Um, so that, that is a tendency there is that they run too many, but I don't know that in most cases I would bring it all the way down to one because the foot race is actually too close between maybe two or three and in, in what they need, like their needs shift maybe more frequently than, than quarterly or, one of them serves their needs better in like shorter cycles, if that makes sense. Right. Sure. So like, Hey, this offer is doing poorly right now, but this offer is doing really well. Right. Like, and so it allows us to like be more nimble. Um, and then in, in higher, like, so that's, I call it like the mid range brand. Right. Um, and, and how much is a mid range brand spending just for context for folks? What's that? How much is a mid-range brand spending? That's like, what I, that's like what I said. That's like what I said. So kind of like 70, 75 to 200, 150, 200, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, so those are going to be your mid, like brands starting to approach eight figures, depending on how much retention revenue they have. Usually brands starting to approach eight figures. Um, and I'm, I'm just, you know, a lot of what we deal with, like a lot of mid-range brands is what we deal with. And that's, I'm defining them as mid-range. Somebody else might define mid-range, mid-range as something else for sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, that's what I just wanted for the yeah, context yeah. for listeners. Yeah. So, so then I would say, uh, for brands that are like more established and are like, you know, really like moving through that 15, 20, 25, 50 million. That's where I see like a lot of times it's like, yeah, you're running three, four five offers and you actually should be really like, um, so yeah, I don't know that that's like my first response is that like, practically speaking, a lot of times we just really don't have enough information to say like, this is the one, right? Like it, it's, it's just the foot, the foot race is too close or we have, you know, real reason to believe that even though one isn't today have a better PSM, it ultimately will, you know, three months, four months, six months from now, um, the other thing you said about the machine learning, like we're dealing with a machine learning platform. That is a theory that I totally agree with. I just, it's so theoretical, I feel like. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not technically theoretical. It is true that we're dealing with machine learning platform and, and machine learning should dictate that like, oh yeah, if you're confusing it. Um, but I think in, in practical like use in ad account and nobody has a ton of data on this of like separate your offers out by ad account you know, versus having them all in one ad account. But I, I've seen plenty of cases where it's like, oh, we should separate, let's separate them out. And they just don't perform as well in that that new ad account. Mostly, I think, because a lot of times, very few brands are selling things to like vastly different people. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, I sell things to like old ladies and like, you know, 16 year old dudes, right? Like usually that's not the same brand, you know? So sometimes maybe like a really generalized store uh, or something like that, just again, not a lot of what I deal with. So uh, I don't know. I just, I haven't seen it kind of shake out that way very often where, where I feel like, oh yeah, like we've really trained the pixel on a certain kind of buyer and it just doesn't work with this offer. And in fact, I would say oftentimes the benefit of having like learnings in the account outweighs the the drawback of like a new account right or like the drawback of, of like a pixel that's dedicated to that offer um yeah and that was the second thing and i i don't really 
remember <laughs> your third. Fair point. enough. I've been, th- I've been talking for a minute, but th- those are my main thoughts around like m- multiple offers, I think. And, and, and in terms of like what you said, like, Hey, but if you can spend more, the flywheel gets better faster. Uh, yeah. I don't disagree. You know um, I, I, I don't disagree with that, but it's just, again, because of the first two points, I think just not, not usually practical for us, but maybe you find something different or you deal with different kinds of brands or I'm just wrong. <laughs> I mean, and I think it ultimately, I would say this becomes risk, risk tolerance and, 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 and projectability. The more you know your numbers, the more confident you're going to be in the direction you need to go. And what is the opportunity cost of doing, of doing B minus work for a year because you couldn't figure out the right direction versus putting your eggs in a basket and maybe it's not the best one, but it's going to improve your business now and just growing the overall volume of business another better investment comes along and then you can test that investment against your hero and see if it works. And and so my point is I would just rather, I try to deal with extremely high confidence, objective facts backed by empirical data. And when I do that, that gray area to me is a giant red flag because ultimately Facebook's just the front end of uh, amplifying the volume of my business well, so if so, I can just figure out how best to, to effectively grow my business, I'll focus on that. So at some point early on, you're not just like, you're going to test offers, right? Sure. Like, gonna, yeah. Okay. So, so at some point early on, we do some offer testing and we're running more than one offer. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily do offer testing with Facebook ads. I think that's doing offer testing with the, with the worst exchange rate you can possibly get that's really expensive is a bad investment. Well, if, they, if you're doing offer testing in a different place, is that same data relevant to Facebook then? Like customers acquired through Facebook. Where would you do offer testing, I suppose? LTV on these individuals. You're still able to understand that customer journey. Because ultimately, Facebook at its core is just meant to, it's an intent creation and market research device that ultimately amplifies what you do in your business. And what I see people using it best is, this is where I'm best in business. Let me use Facebook to, like throw a, to, to drop a nuclear bomb yeah. on this one thing very specifically, and I'll amplify everything as a result of it. And then maybe the landscape will change. So, so where would you do your, your offer testing? I do a lot of offer testing in organic. I do it in email. I do it in influencer. Um, do it in drops. Like all yeah. that stuff. I suppose that like, I mean, I guess I'm thinking of more of like an earlier stage brand, right? Like that's, yeah, well, let's say earlier stage yeah. brand. One of my one of my one of my students right now is just starting like a bikini, uh, like a like a underwear, uh, like a swimsuit business. Yeah. And I was like, literally, post this stuff on Instagram. What's getting the best result? Like, have like Facebook isn't where you start a business. Facebook ads isn't where you start a business. Facebook ads is where you invest in the amplification of something you figured out. That- if you're gonna invest in using Facebook ads to figure it out, you're gonna lose a lot of money. Just trying to make it work. That and I the opportunity cost today. of that work is crippling. Yeah, that I agree with today. That wasn't always true, but uh, sure. But yeah, yeah, the union that, economics used to let you do that. Yeah, but that, I know we that, had one other thing you wanted to touch base on, so I don't want to get too far off. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so okay. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch base on is your uh, your ad account structures because you kind of like, uh, and this is where I think maybe people people actually fight with you the most, and I. I left it to the end, so we're not going to have much time to go over it. But uh, you you preach really like kind of one very simplified ad account structure for every situation. And, and now I think that, yeah, there we go. There's the ad account structure right there. Um, so you have three ad sets. You have, uh, so this is, a, this is a campaign. This yellow card uh, represents a campaign, right? And we have our winners, which are posts. And then we have a DCT uh, for creative testing, another DCT for creative testing. Um, yep. Now, this is where I think that you get the most, and, and I wanted to go over the offer thing because honestly, I think that perspective, that perspective is needed in order for you to explain, because if, if somebody doesn't know that you have that perspective on, on offer, then this, yeah. that's where it's like really easy to attack this, right? Like what if you're running multiple offers? So, okay. Now, assuming, Hey, we're, we're one offer. This is the, the, the account structure that you preach. So tell me. Like why, why, why is this such an absolute that it works like this every time? Right. Because I feel like, you know, have you done a lot of testing of other structures against this? And 
if you have, if you have, what does that test look like? Like, how do you know that this outperformed that? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So the short history of where it came about was uh, at the time I just left hyphen and I was running like seven or eight brands and I went in the house at 310 nutrition and I was a day trader, ABO interest group, a million posts all the time guy, 2016, 2017, whatever. Um, we got brought into the disruptor group and basically I was basically kind of tasked with how to do creative testing and use CBO in the, during the development of the power five. Cause I had also done the alpha for lead gen and DPA and canvas ads before that rest in peace, canvas ads, uh, which failed miserably. I was dead wrong about that one. Um, but basically, so it, I, 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 we spent eight figures in testing over a two year period with a lot of Facebook's money on a lot of different brands really kind of come down to this place, but really it's predicated on one really simple concept. Um, CBO will spend your money where it's best fit for Facebook's business objective, which is monetizing the user, uh, experience, but ultimately putting the user experience first. So CBO will then say of the available options, what best meets Facebook's business objectives. Our job as a marketer is to align ourselves algorithmically with what Facebook wants. Now, the way we do that is we use dynamic creatives because the average post is just a static web page. Facebook, the newsfeed and everything is just a newsfeed of web pages. Every post is, is its own web page inside of Facebook. It has its own unique URL. Facebook newsfeed is basically just a Google search result, but it's generated for you in rich media instead of you typing in something and it basically being more or less text. So a DCT, a dynamic creative, is actually an adaptive web page that reacts to what users want to see to give them the best user experience. So when we run dynamic creative tests, ultimately we're able to determine what the post IDs that are most aligned with Facebook's business objectives are. Then we can see, does Facebook's business objective also meet our own? And when they are aligned, then we can declare that sort of a winner and we can compare that against the performance of our control elements, the best ads that we have. And ultimately all we're doing is continuing to running through those DCTs to produce ads that are a better fit for that algorithmic alignment that it continues to improve efficiency. So in the version of PSM, basically the CPA number continues to go down. So the PSM metric continues to get higher, which ultimately allows us to scale results without adding spend, which improves the volume and quality of users coming to our store. That ultimately allows us to test faster on that flywheel and invest more money in the growth of the business. Yeah. So, so I know that you have a hard stop and, uh, and we can't unpack this too much, but I, I will say this. This is, all, this is all I'll say. It won't be a counterpoint. I will say to anyone watching this, uh, I, I don't disagree with your structures. And in fact, in, in many accounts, we do something like very, very similar or, you know, the exact same or whatever. Uh, but in also in many, many accounts, it just doesn't perform as well as, as our other campaign structures. So, and I know that your position on this, I'll make your argument for me. I know your position on this is like, there's got to be some kind of fundamental misunderstanding of, of what the structure is supposed to be. Because for you, it never gets outperformed by by a different campaign structure. Um, so I guess to anyone watching this, I would say like it's it's certainly worth a test if you are uh, out if it's just not being if, if it's being outperformed by something else, right? Like maybe ABOs or whatever campaign with ABOs in it. And that's a really common one for us. Campaign with ABOs and it outperforms. Then, yeah, maybe it is a fundamental misunderstanding of everything Charlie just said. Uh, in which case, you should probably go with what performs best until you can understand it a little bit better and test it. Uh, or, or, you know, maybe there are situations where it doesn't, it, where it does get out. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this to that point. It is also a progress. Like because you're running ABOs with interest groups and lookalikes or whatever else, they are going to steal performance. The objective here is to just be better than the worst investment. And as time, as it continues to improve and you're investing more and more into it, it will eventually gobble up the spend of basically everything else. That is what I've seen. That process could take three weeks. It could take three months. Yeah, but it's not an overnight switch. And ultimately, what we're measuring isn't Facebook performance, but incremental lift across the entire brand. And that's where using ABO implies that audiences matter. I don't agree with that. I feel like we need to do another one of these to unpack like the five other things we should do. Yeah, it could be I'm a lot of fun. No, um, I, I agree. I, we we should make a part two because I do want to unpack this a little bit further of like. The campaign structures, because I think very often, and, and I, I, I've done what you say, right? Like I've done set like, hey, just like 
keep doing it. Like stick with the process, trust the process, keep going. And it's like, okay, but like, how long do you want me to keep going when like, I can't find any definitive way that this is like doing better than our, our current campaign structures or like headed toward doing better. Right. Uh, so yeah, maybe it's a fundamental, maybe I have a misunderstanding in how the tests are supposed to be set up based on everything you've said. I have done them like, just like, as far as I know, uh, like basically what you said. So, um, yeah, we should let's, let's to be volume two coming soon, dropping yeah, a teaser. You. Uh, let, we should end on that. Like, like yeah. <laughs> they're going to stop us. The, 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 the uh, powers, the people not let us talk about this thing. You're going to have to come back next time. We're about the yeah, whole thing going to shut us down again. Yep. But I, right. I do have to go. I have to talk Thank with you. a uh, Facebook ads MBA program student right now. One of our one-on-ones is right here. So I just want to say to both of you guys, thank you a lot. I really appreciate it. And yeah, John, uh, when we have conversations, we tend to be fairly aligned. Yeah, yeah, but on, on the 280 characters that Twitter gives us now, uh, we, we don't quite get there. But <laughs> that's a beautiful right. thing. We have the opportunity to grow and to exchange ideas. And whether they agree with you, they agree with me, or somewhere in between, the conversation yep. should be very educational to people. And that is what is most important to me. For sure. Charlie, thanks so much for being on. Everybody, thanks for watching this deep into it. Casey, say the YouTube things. Take us out. All right, Modern Commerce, thank you for joining us. Charlie, thank you for joining us. John, way to go. You guys, I think for our listeners who watch on like a, you know, over a 1x speed towards the end there when you guys were trying to get more info in, I think their heads are going to explode. Uh, but it's all good fun. Thank you guys for the great conversation. Modern Commerce, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell icon to get notifications about whenever we drop new content like the awesome video you just watched today. And as always, until next time, we will see you. Hey, ModCom, this episode was brought to you by Pencil. I'm a creative strategist at the agency that John and I work at. If you happen to be a creative strategist or you're just having a hard time rolling out enough new creatives for testing, then I have the perfect solution for you. It's trypencil.com. Over at Pencil, the AI will help you determine what your best performers are. It'll even break it down into what elements of those best performers are helping making those ads go. And it'll also take those elements and create whole new ads for you to push live straight from their platform right over to Facebook and IG. So go to trypencil.com if you want to use this and use the promo code modcom15 to save 15% off of any paid plan they have over there. You can always start with a free plan. Uh, go ahead. Actually, I recommend it even, but we're confident you're going to want to upgrade as soon as you try it out. So just remember to go to trypencil.com, use the promo code modcom15 to save 15% off of any plan. And thank you for tuning in to Modern Commerce.